Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to the 34th. Today on the show, we are speaking with Lauren Ashcroft, who is running for Congress in New York 12. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Absolutely. So I wanted to talk with you right off the top about your grandfather. He was in an accident uh, where I believe he fell off a ladder and ended up as a quadriplegic. So you, this was when you were in high school, I believe. And I think that that might have formed some of your opinions on disability rights, as well as why we need Medicare for all. So walk us through uh, what happened with your grandfather and how that affected you. Yeah, thank you so much for asking. Um, he did fall um, actually off the back of a truck, unfortunately, oh. and, and became a quadriplegic. And I just saw just how very ignored people with disabilities are by our government. Yeah. And um, I learned that if you're surviving off of disability, you survive in abject poverty, basically. And you can't afford to pay your rent. You can't afford to put food on the table and you absolutely cannot afford to hire a caretaker. So that's when my grandfather was extremely fortunate, I guess you can say in quotation marks, to have my family that just stepped in and did the job, but not everybody has that. And I think about the fact that so many people that face unforeseeable circumstances don't have groups of people they can turn to for help. And these are the people that completely slip through the cracks of our system and go completely ignored. And uh, yeah, that's really shaped shaped who I am as a person. And um, I grew up fairly angry, to be completely honest. Yeah. And I think about the fact that the Americans with Disabilities Act is almost as old as me. And it doesn't go nearly far enough um, in protecting people like my grandfather and so many other people. When I think about the fact that most of our subways here in New York City, the entrances are not accessible. And we actually released a video about me just trying to get to Brooklyn from my apartment and there, it was almost impossible without using the stairs. Wow. And I think about the fact that this is one of the richest districts in one of the richest cities in one of the richest countries in the world. And the fact that we've allowed this here is ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's something that I carry with me every single day. And my grandfather had a physical disability, but um, somebody else in my family has an invisible disability and can't hear. Um, and I think about the fact that single parent Medicare for all would cover hearing, which mm -hmm. is considered elective, according to many of our private health insurance plans right now. And I think about people who can't see, people who have glaucoma, um, people needing vision coverage, people needing dental coverage, people needing mental health care. All of that would be covered under single-payer Medicare for all. And I don't understand why this isn't a top priority that I hear so many of our representatives right. fighting for. They're just not. They're not because of money and politics, right? If you if you go through the paper trail of where they're getting their money for, you see a chain of what I call implicit quid pro quo, meaning that, you know, you don't have to necessarily have this this conversation where the congressperson says to the lobbyists, I'm taking your money, ergo, I'm going to not vote for single payer Medicare for all because I know that the health insurance industry wants, you know, to keep profiteering, profiteering off of people's sickness, right? That doesn't mm -hmm. need to happen. If you've received this kind of money and you know where that money is coming from, it's in your brain. And every time you make a decision, you think about that, especially if you're going to run for reelection because you're going to want that money again. Right. So yeah. our entire system is based on just just dirty corruption at this point. And the only way I mean, we need to go back to a day where we had caps on these things or at bare minimum uh, overturn Citizens United. I would yes. actually like to go further and say we have publicly funded elections because I think yes. money in politics is absolutely the root of all evil. I am fighting for publicly funded federal elections and I see I see certain states being so ahead of the game and doing just that and um, and with democracy vouchers, for example, I really respect that. But totally publicly financed federal elections would help us get rid of so many of the dark influences in our politics. Right. Medicare for all we could have, 
Green New Deal, if we get rid of the fossil fuel industries, uh, influence in our politics. I think about private prison lobbies throwing money right. at politicians and leading to mass incarceration. The list just goes on. Defense contractor money and weapons manufacturers money causing us to go to war over and over. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's grotesque. I mean, obviously these folks aren't serving their constituency at this point when they do this sort of stuff. And it's the it's the vast majority of Americans that are paying the price now. The extraction of wealth that has occurred over the last two to three decades is uh, it's out of control. It's outrageous. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you a little bit about HUD for a second, because I know you have worked there in the past. Um, mm-hmm. I think that HUD can be doing more to alleviate the homeless problem in the country. Uh, for example, here in Los Angeles, um, we have a problem where we, we don't have a, a surplus of or a lack of housing. We have a surplus of housing, right? We have empty, vacant spaces that aren't getting rent out, rented out because, I mean, we can go into all the reasons of Costa Hawkins and the fact that real estate developers and REITs and uh, private investors have bought up, you know, all these things and they're, they don't care about having them rented out because they don't need the money. Um, right. So what can HUD be doing? My question is this. What can HUD be doing on a federal level? to maybe change some of that uh, dynamics because obviously we're failing to do that at the state level. And I know that California is not the only state having this problem. Yeah. So I actually really, really sign on to and advocate for something called a homes guarantee that was written by a group called people's action. And it's a really comprehensive plan to abolish homelessness and, and elevate tenants. Um, That includes national rent control, and making sure that there are are enough units for every single person um, through constructing enough of those units. And also um, just making sure that there's a tenant's bill of rights Mm -hmm. that hands us more rights than the landlords, which absolutely needs to happen, especially in in districts like mine, where gentrification is is rampant Mm -hmm. and my opponent takes big real estate developer money and doesn't seem to know the struggles that everyday people face. And um, what we absolutely need to stand up against, and this is happening in NYCHA, which is is our housing authority here in New York City, is that so many of our public housing developments are facing demolition and privatization. Right. And neither of those is okay. Because what we need to do is make sure that we're renovating and we're making um, people's homes livable and acceptable for them and uh, a good quality home. And that's also why I support a Green New Deal for public housing to make sure that um, people are living in homes that are up to green and new standards. Literally, uh, I'm looking at Queensbridge Houses, which um, is the largest public housing development in the Western Hemisphere. It's right outside my window. And I spend so much time over there with my neighbors and I've seen with my own eyes that people with walkers crawl up the stairs because the elevator doesn't go to the top floor. There's just litter piling up and rats and people telling me that they just don't feel safe, that there's leaks that are ruining all their clothes. The list just goes on. So it's a funding issue. It's a prioritization issue. And what we don't see happening is that we, we really need and deserve to have our representatives raising these issues and starting these conversations, but we don't see them doing that. And that's right. really the difference between an establishment politician and, and a grassroots people-powered one, is that establishment politicians use a very specific and outdated tool set that they think that they can just work in their committees and, and, and sometimes pass or write bills and, and that's that. Sometimes they die and then the conversation goes away. But what we're seeing with um, some of the most freshman members of Congress is that they're willing to use their platforms to change public perception and change the conversation and start conversations. And that's what I want to do when when we're leading this fight against homelessness, which we absolutely can abolish homelessness. Yeah, I agree. And I think housing should be a, a human right. And I don't understand why that's controversial. The fact that that statement is controversial just tells you how far and how extreme yeah. capitalism has come in this country, right? You yes. mentioned something that I want to touch upon, which is the real estate developer money. This has been a huge problem in the state of California. Our entire legislative body is pretty much bought by real estate development money, which is what has led us to the place we're in. And it sounds like you're experiencing 
the same thing that we experienced here. So uh, Costa Hawkins was a bill that passed that pretty much took away local municipalities' right to do rent control laws, right? But mm. part of what they part of what they said in exchange for that was that well, there's all of this pre-existing rental control uh, housing that exists that'll still be there. There's plenty of it. It's fine. But this allows real estate developers to come up and you know buy up old decrepit buildings, fix them. So they you know they made this sort of an argument which sounded good to a lot of people at that time. But in reality, what happened was, is the real estate developers came in, they bought these buildings that were under rent control, tore them down, rebuilt them, ergo no more rent control, right? They weren't stupid. So it sounds like they're doing a similar game plan in uh, Brooklyn and Queens, et cetera. So is that the case? I, yeah, totally. And, And we just as tenants don't have the rights that we deserve to have here. I live in a rent stabilized apartment okay. and, um, and so far it's been okay, but rent stabilization is not far enough. Rent control is right. really what we need. Mm-hmm. So rent stabilization allows for there to be um, a rent that your landlord can charge you, but what they're charging you because they're nice. That's yeah. what rent <laughs> stabilization is. And this, this window, which for me is over a thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. The they can actually just increase my rent to to be what they're legally allowed to charge me, and rent stabilization just protects my rent from going above that second tier. Right. So it if my rent goes up a thousand dollars a month starting next year, I am out of here. I can't afford that. A thousand a month. It could. Wow. <laughs> so what they're charging me is a thousand below what I see they're legally allowed to charge me, which doesn't make any sense because no one would that's pay crazy. that. But that's the kind of shenanigans that we live with in New York City as tenants is there are all these loopholes that allow for, you know, you think you're protected. You think you have a place that you can afford. And then there are all these loopholes for landlords to get around it. And that's why I'm really strongly advocating for rent control which is literally one one rent that they're allowed to charge you and it can't just skyrocket the next year that you sign your lease again. Right. And so and let me bring this up because I think this is a really important part of the discussion. So the the neoliberals are, would say the neoliberal faction of the party would say to you, it's fine because the free market will prevent them from increasing your rent by $1,000 because it'll price you out of the market and they don't want to have a vacant unit. And I'm saying at this particular junction in time, that's absolutely unequivocally false. And the reason mm-hmm. is reason being is because these assholes have so much money now. We have, we have gone into such a deep amount of income inequality and wealth inequality in the country that it doesn't affect them. The free market doesn't matter at this point. If they have vacant units, it doesn't affect them. They don't need the money. They don't need to do anything about it, right? And we're seeing that happen in real time here in California. Um, you know, one of the things I, I had interviewed Tom Steyer a couple of weeks ago before he dropped out of the race, and I asked him about this. Because I wanted to know, you know, he's a guy that's a billionaire. I wanted to know why he is sort of a woke class trader and gets this problem, whereas, you know, half of the Democratic Party doesn't seem to understand the problem. Right. And, you know, his response to me was like, I take being called a class trader a compliment. And no, they're not going to wake up because they don't have to. And we're going to have yeah. to force that. So, right. I don't know. You know, I, I don't understand. I guess what I'm really frustrated with right now is so many Americans uh, that are being affected by this. They don't seem to know it. And I think part of the problem is they're not giving, getting adequate information. Our media has been failing and being honest about all of these problems. And, in, and instead of, of being honest and doing actual news like public service, they're just propagating yeah. more corporate bullshit. And it's a problem. It's really true and it, it, it's it's sad because we've just kind of been accustomed to being forgotten. And and one thing that I get told all the time is that, hey, you're too nice to be running for office. And I get, I get that I'm nice. I get that I have a conscience and I, I'm doing this for the right reasons. That yeah. should be a good thing. It should be. <laughs> and, but we're just, it's it's in our brains that our, our, our representatives shouldn't care about us. And I, I just don't get it. And and it's 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 my job to change that perception yeah. and to change minds, but oh man, I I hope I well, it's hope, frustrating, I hope that- right? It's frustrating. You're right. It this should not be the public perception. Honestly, at this particular junction, I think a lot of Americans 
have been intentionally brainwashed by the crap they've been fed for decades and and they need they need to have they need to have access to different kinds of information so the i think the difference between the young generation and, and the boomers is that you know you see the young generation but if you look at the difference between I support Bernie Sanders, I don't support Bernie Sanders, the starkness in age is huge. And yes. I should say huge. But the reason being <laughs> is that the, the younger generation can get on the Internet and they're seeing all of these other things that the boomers are just simply not being exposed to. They're absolutely clueless. Right. So I, I that's know. independent media such as yourself and um, so many of the other podcasts that were so kind to have me on. We talk about the truth and we talk about the facts right. and, and raise real issues. Unfortunately, I, I don't see that happening with uh, mainstream media no. at all. No, and, and I'm really, really hoping that that independent media kind of takes over. <laughs> yeah, no, we're working on that. I mean, I think we, we need to get we need to be able to have the audience reach that the mainstream media has. And that's that's the hard part there because that costs a lot of money. Um, I want to ask you about a residency tax-based system. This is something that you mm. support, and I think it's something that a lot of folks just don't know anything about. So can you explain to our audience what exactly that is and why you support it? Yeah, so I have actually, I've been contacted by um, Americans that live abroad that have a home in my district. Oh, okay. and, um, and actually, New York's 12th Congressional District is a district with the most of that case of people living abroad that still actually have addresses here and they're paying so the united states is one of the only countries in the world that allows for you to be paying two countries taxes so so people living abroad that are teachers or professors or secretaries or accountants living in the united kingdom right they're paying the United Kingdom's taxes, and they're paying ours as well. And, and they're contacting me because most other countries do have a residency-based taxation system. Right, absolutely. Them. Yeah, and also their taxes are so complicated and they have to pay right. accountants abroad so much more money because everyone's kind of looking at our taxation forms and they're like, what the hell is this? And so I've, I've been having calls with them and I'm, I'm really honored that they would come to me with this issue and, and um, I'm, I'm really honored to advocate for them. Which is great because meanwhile, while these folks are paying taxes in two countries, meanwhile, you have multinational corporations that are paying zero dollars in taxes yes. in yeah. this country. It's- ridiculous and it I is think ridiculous about- it's disgusting actually this is it's it's again it's, it's multinational corporations it's the plantonomy extracting wealth from the working classes it's it's ugh, it just makes me so angry um i want to talk to you about foreign relations for a minute because you have studied international relations and mm-hmm. this is something that doesn't get discussed a lot but there's a there's a school of thought in inter- international relations called realism that sort of uh, supposes that that all agents are selfish in their actions, that um, power dyna- power dynamics are a zero sum game, and realism is is a is a theory that has pretty much dominated American foreign policy for decades now, right? I think it's wrong. I don't think that all agents are selfish. I do think states can cooperate with each other. I do think human beings are capable of understanding that altruism can bring more peace across the board for everybody, not just for yourself. There, to, to, uh, to imagine that this thing is zero sum is ridiculous. That's just an excuse for preemptive war, preemptive regime change, preemptive I'm going to steal this country's resources for my corporate uh, profiteering, my corporate oligarchy. So it's it's just something that really upsets me, but very few people probably don't think about this or, or have ever had this conversation or been exposed to this uh, school of thought. So walk me through some of your foreign policy platforms, because I think that you probably stand against sort of this realist idea of what we're doing abroad. For sure. I think that um, that's a lot of projection that somebody might have selfish intentions for invading other countries. Yeah. And they're just assuming that everybody else does. So yeah, I studied international relations as my undergraduate degree and to be quite blunt, it made me very angry because I learned about all of the regions that we just really destroyed for multiple generations, 
all of the dictators that we propped up because they were the enemies of our enemies, for example. Right. And I think about the fact that there's so much xenophobia facing people um, crossing our southern border. And I think about the fact that a lot of that is our fault. Yeah. The way that we've destabilized uh, Latin America in so many different ways is also a reason that people can't stay in their homes where they want to be. People don't enjoy leaving their families and everything they know and going to a country where they know they're going to face a lot of racism or maybe be separated and put in a cage. That's not something that people really love to do. And and I don't see why we can't understand that. Uh, I think a lot of our leaders lack empathy. And that's also where we as grassroots candidates need to come in and remind people of the humanity of the issues that we're discussing, because these are people and these are families and we're not treating them as such. And yeah, um, I actually really support Bernie Sanders in saying that we need to call for preconditions on our uh, military aid, for example. Yeah. Because if, if we are spending our resources that are actually just going to kill people and children and and violate human rights, that's not what we should be doing when we have problems here at home to fix instead of making lives worse abroad. So there's just so much that's so wrong. And I think that a lot of our leaders lack a basic understanding and also basic empathy. Yeah. Yeah, right. They do. But that's also ties back to this realist idea, right? Why have empathy? Why have, if we're all selfish, selfish, selfish agents and it's zero sum when it comes to power, like, you know, no empathy, no altruism. That's what we are, right? It's, it's such a um, dark way of viewing the world. And it just, it, but, you know, but you see it. You're right. You see it in what we've done in Latin America, the destabilization that's happened there. And it's continuing to happen. Yes. The idea that, you know, we can take over Venezuela, take over Bolivia, continue to uh, put sanctions on poor co- countries because they won't placate our, our co- corporations and what they want to do. It's just a grotesque thing, and it's immoral, it's untenable, and the refugees coming up here are entirely on us, and now we don't even want to deal with that, right? We want to keep them locked out or keep them locked in cages. We can't have it both ways. Whenever somebody brings up Venezuela as a reason that we can't elect, for example, Bernie Sanders, I just, I I get so frustrated because that's... It's one of the most vivid examples to me of of how we're causing harm yeah, to so many 100%. people. Their economy is set up so that they depend on us, and 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 people are literally starving because we we have become a really unequal partner to them, and yeah. they rely on us to survive, and we're not we're not treating that relationship as such. No, we're not. And, you know, and and the thing that folks need to realize is that the aristocracy, there's severe income inequality in a lot of these countries. And the reason these leftist governments come into power is because the poor people put them there. They they actually fare better. And it's the aristocracy that is losing ground, losing money in the way that they are in this country that wants to prevent that. The Mm -hmm. leftist governments are about thwarting worker rights abroad because that's very, very threatening to U.S. corporations. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I, I want to talk about the ERA because I know that's part of your platform. And uh, it's crazy that the ERA has still not been ratified federally. So why is that? Uh, I mean, uh, I think it's pretty clear that there are a lot of people representing us and a lot of people, for example, sitting on the Supreme Court that don't view us as equal to them. And yeah. I think it's just that simple. The fact that it's taken this long to just explicitly say that I'm equal to you is really sad. And I really just don't have words for it other than the fact that we absolutely just need to get it ratified. There's no excuse anymore. We need people at all levels of government in all of our states across the country that have a little bit of empathy and care about fellow human beings and and view us all as equals, which we are. No matter our gender or religion or where we come from, anything, our skin color, we're all equals. 
Yeah, that shouldn't be a radical idea. It's crazy to me. Um, I want to also talk with you about voter suppression for a second. We are now in the throes of a very crazy primary. And so in California, I witnessed this firsthand, and now I'm seeing photos of this happening in other states. Um, We had a disaster here in L.A. County. It was an absolute disaster. Uh, Three-hour lines, folks, that is a form of voter suppression, and it's Mm -hmm. unacceptable. We lost, people lost the right to a vote here in Los Angeles. I, that's not a crazy statement. I know last primary season in New York, uh, we saw all kinds of problems as well. What do you think is going to happen this time in New York? I know there's been some uh, changes in the uh, voting laws, et cetera. What do you think is going to happen? Um, I mean, you have to, you have to already be registered as Democrat at this point in time to vote in our April presidential primary. So I, I personally know people that I thought had changed their registrations and realized too late again. And so I, I don't understand why it's considered radical to allow for same day change of parties. It's um, not. It shouldn't it's be. It's not. Yeah. And, and automatic voter registration. And exactly. also, um, if you haven't voted in a few years, then you're also considered an inactive voter. So you'll be um, surprised when you go to vote and you're not allowed. So I don't understand. It's very clear that the establishment, that representatives who don't fight against this are benefiting from it. They benefit from the status quo. Yeah. And notice the people fighting to make sure every single person can vote. What, like, what would my incentive be other than to just allow everyone to have a full and equal voice? Right. That's what I firmly believe. Even if you get in there and you vote against me and you vote against Bernie Sanders, who I endorse for president, I want you to vote. And I don't understand why that's such a radical concept. I don't either. Well, it it serves the establishment. I guess that's why. But but our democracy is very sick right now. We should have same day registration. We should have automatic registration. We should not care what party affiliation you are. I believe in open primaries. I know that that is kind of a crazy thing to some people, but I believe in expanding democracy to the point where it truly is democracy. Yes, that's messy. You know, like the the whole Plato argument is that if you allow an uneducated voter to vote, they harm the the uh, system, the city state. It's not just right. It's it's um it's a problem, he says, which I get, but I don't I don't care. I I think that the minute you have somebody deciding who is the educated voter and who isn't, yes. you're headed toward a fascist society, right? I'd rather yeah. have a messy sort of mob rule that was truly democracy than the other because everybody should have a stake. Every should be a, everybody should be a stakeholder in the government that is seeing over what happens to them. Yes. And it is our jobs to educate them more. So I think part of the problem with the media, part of the problem with the income inequality and the platonomy in this country is that that's, has, the opposite has been the case. You've had a ruling class, a very wealthy ruling class, plutocracy that has told you what to think, what you're allowed to believe. Um, this, is, this is the the area of thought that you're allowed to experience it and anything off of that is unacceptable sort of a thing. So mm-hmm. I think the messiness of, of democracy is a good thing. Um, yes. But I just don't know how to break the stranglehold of the establishment because every time I think I have seen something terrible, it gets worse. This election cycle in California was far worse than it was in 2016 and 2016 was bad enough. What yeah. I saw here on Super Tuesday is t- entirely unacceptable. And I'm worried going forward. I mean, I saw in Michigan, you had lines there that were at the college campuses three, four hours long. How, how do people not see that this is voter suppression? It is. And also ca- like caucuses in general are, are a scary thing because it requires people to stand there for multiple hours. Um, if you're homebound or hospital bound, um, basically your voice doesn't count. Right. And, and expecting people to be able to take off of work, not understanding that some people do work evenings to survive. Um, people work hourly wages. double hourly jobs, wages. two jobs. Exactly. Yeah. Or if you're a single parent with multiple children, what do you do? Yeah. So it's just, there's so many ways in which people are just completely silenced. And I see 
time and time again um, that, for example, there was a person who um, had had paid their time and, and paid their time for committing a crime and thought that they were able to vote and they went and voted and are now being charged with voter fraud. Yeah, um, that's insane. And it's really terrible. I'm of the, I, I advocate for every single American adult to be able to vote no matter what. I agree. And um, we, we also know for a fact that a lot of people have been imprisoned, although they were completely innocent. There are people sitting in prison right now. While they're innocent, people have been killed on death row yep. while they were innocent. And the last thing we should do is keep them from having a voice. I agree. So this argument that I hear that, what, you want to give the Unabomber the right to vote? Yes, yes, I do, actually. And I don't think that that's a scary thing because what you guys are talking about, the Unabomber, Charlie Manson, whatever, these are the fringe elements. They're the outliers. In the meantime, by doing what you're doing, you're disenfranchising a whole lot of people that should be able to vote. You're right. A lot of these folks that have uh, felony records, they're not even guilty of anything. They're victims of a plea bargaining system that forced them yes. into that. Or yes. they're, po they're poor. They can't post bail. The DA comes to them and said, well, I'm going to give you a plea deal. You might get 20 years if we charge you. We don't care that you're innocent. But if you take our deal, you get five years and you'll have a felony conviction on your record. But at least you mm -hmm. won't have to face this 20-year thing, right? This, I mean, yeah. our, our justice system is, is entirely tiered towards the wealthy in this country. It's disgusting. It is. It is. I, I really stand firmly in eliminating cash bail. And yeah. also just stopping mass incarceration yeah. and not using prison um, as a way to treat people's substance use disorder, for example, yeah. and not using prison as a way to punish poverty, which we see every single day here in New York City when people get arrested for not having their subway fare. Right. So it's just, it's used in the wrong way. It should, yeah. I mean, I was conflicted when I saw Weinstein go to prison he should be there that's that's the kind of person that should be in prison yeah but people who can't afford a subway fare should not i agree they're criminalizing poverty in the country is absolutely outrageous um so let's talk about carolyn uh maloney for a second she's the incumbent incumbent democrat that you're running against um what are some of the main policy differences between you and carolyn yeah, well, she takes a lot of corporate PAC money, and you really see that in her decision making. Although um, she claims to really be fighting for us, I have yet to see that in the way that I think we deserve. Um, whenever I look at, for example, she's taken defense contractor money from defense contractor PACs, and I think about the fact that she's voted for the Iraq war. She's voted against the Iran nuclear deal. She's voted for the inflated military budget that includes Space Force, yeah. which is ridiculous. And just time and time again, um, she's disappointed me in that way. And then whenever it came to Amazon wanting to come right. to my neighborhood, Long Island City, where I'm sitting right now, I think about the fact that she has said it's a shame that they didn't come and was one of the politicians that was calling for them to get massive tax incentives for coming here. But what I didn't see her do is advocate for people like me, who I shove my body in the subway every single morning because it's full. And what we found out is that Amazon was planning to bring 25,000 additional people here to Long Island City and the surrounding areas. Whenever they promised 25,000 jobs, it wasn't for any of us. That's right. So, so nobody, I didn't see anybody ask the questions about how it impact our, our transportation infrastructure and... Speaking of not being able to afford rent, how is 25,000 additional people in my neighborhood going to affect my rent prices, which are only stabilized, not right. controlled? Right. So it's just, I don't see that kind of advocacy that we deserve. And I don't view signing on to bills as the entire job. I, I really think we deserve an advocate that stands up for us, even when it's unpopular, and says what she believes she hasn't even she hasn't endorsed between bernie and biden um what do you want yeah. <laughs> and then she, she says she's for medicare for all and and yes did co-sponsor that bill but there is a guy running for president that is really pushing for that versus right. a guy who um 
I don't really know what he stands for other than the fact that he seems to think Obamacare is good. And it it did a lot of good for people. Um, For example, allowed people to stay on their parents' plans until 26. It um, helped people with pre-existing conditions, which I have. Um, And it, quote unquote, made birth control free, which is really important. But right now, mine is not. Right. Well, yeah, they overturned that. The ACA was a temporary Band-Aid. It was never going to fix our the profiteering in our system. So I also noticed that, I'll bring this up on Carolyn uh, Maloney's website, she says two things, which tells me she is pandering or she's disingenuous. She says she believes in protecting and expanding the ACA before she talks about supporting single-payer Medicare for all. You can't support both of those things, Carolyn. Pick one. Yeah. That's, you know. that's exactly, yeah, you, Medicare for all is the answer and there is no compromise for that because people I agree. die without it. I agree. Look, Obama opened the door for us to have this discussion with the ACA. He did back away from the public option, which was the wrong thing to do, but so be it. Here we are. Point being is he opened that door. Bernie Sanders is trying to lead us through that door. If it wasn't for Bernie Sanders, we wouldn't even be having a discussion about Medicare for all. That's how far he's been able to shift the Overton window. And I think at this particular junction, it's a litmus test. You either support it or you don't, and you need to get behind mm-hmm. it because people are suffering. They can't afford their premiums. They can't afford their co-pays. They can't afford their ridiculous deductibles. You have a 5K deductible. Why would you go to the doctor? No, you can't, I mean, you um, this is insane. And you're paying a premium on top of that. All of this goes back to profiteering in the system. All we are doing is enriching a certain managerial class of, of folks that are just making money off of us. And there's mm-hmm. a reason no other country does what we do. There's a reason that Medicare runs at a 2 to 3% efficiency rate when our private insurance has a 30%. It's profiteering. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're paying for an entire industry to sit between me and my doctor. Yeah. To just sit there. There's there's an office full of people that are trying to figure out how to minimize my care so that they can maximize profit. Uh, just- which is insane. There's, I mean, I love the doctors, uh, doctors for Bernie organization because it's it literally is a, a group of doctors that are out there trying to talk about why Medicare for all is important. Doctors are tired of spending 30% of their day trying to figure out insurance coding. Like, it's insane. It's absolutely, we are so far off from reality at this point in this country. It's, it's just comical. Like you can't even believe that this is what we're doing. It's ridiculous. My grandma, her doctor, bless his heart, um, saves her sample medication because she can't afford her prescription. And that's the kind of bullshit that we require our doctors. People don't study medicine for four years and go into residency for four years so that they can learn to you know, find the loopholes in, in how to right. provide their patients the care that they need. They're they're going through all of that so that they can care for people. Yeah. And that's why you doctors already make so much sense. Yeah. And big pharma, what you're talking about now is the other problem. I mean, rationing insulin, how is this even a conversation? Insulin is not a new drug. There's no reason that any single one of these pharmaceutical companies should be able to reinstate any sort of patent on it or should be like, you know, marking it up five times what it is like this is just disgusting profiteering it needs it's, to be ended yes i am actually for nationalizing the pharmaceutical industry because there doesn't need to be profit involved in people just not dying right if you need insulin then get insulin we should there should be no barrier to that and right. it's also why i keep going back to supporting bernie's uh plan for medicare for all because it's an out-of-pocket maximum of $200, which is a whole lot better than my $4,000 right now. 100%. No, it's it's far more efficient. And people need to realize that what you pay in increase in taxes is, is even the Koch brothers had a study that came out and supported this. The savings is greater. So you will mm-hmm. be paying less money in taxes than you, than you are currently, and you'll be getting actual care. Having a 5K deductible is, is keeping people from seeing a doctor. Yes. I don't care if you have insurance, if that's what you have, you might as well not have insurance. Yeah. But I mean, the, the very reason that deductibles exist is to prevent us from going to the doctor that's all right. the time. That's 100% There's no correct. other reason. Yep. Which <laughs> is ridiculous. just like, really, what are we doing here? I mean, it's just, it's grotesque profiteering. Um, so what are some of the other differences that you have with Carolyn? Uh, does she support the Green New Deal, for example? 
she she has again she's co-sponsored the green new deal but why the heck uh, east river park which is right across the river from me um it's flooding and uh, there's been a, a motion to bury the park, rebuild it eight feet higher and install a flood wall. So my whole, my whole thing is we're running against people who think that signing their name to something is just doing their job. Right. When in fact, you should be out there like every single day making sure that people don't lose the last green space they have available to them. So that's really, that's really the difference between me and her is I don't see this as something I'm just going to sign my name to stuff. This is, these are my people. Yeah. This is my community yeah. and I'm not going anywhere until they get what they need. Right. So she's pandering. So I, what I see from her is that she's attaching her name to stuff that she thinks is necessary at this point to stay in office. Right. Yeah. But she doesn't yeah. actually believe in any of it. Yeah. And that's the whole thing is like, what did you do before you co-sponsored the green new deal? It's like she's been in office for 26 years. Yeah. And maybe if she's been an active advocate for us, then we wouldn't be thinking about burying a green space because it's right. flooding all the time. Right. Uh, has she taken any uh, corporate money from from entities that would be against that, in your knowledge? Um, in my knowledge, the worst offenses that she's had for corporate PAC money are defense contractor money um big real estate developer money and her largest donor in her entire career is jp morgan chase which (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean whenever we're talking about climate the climate disaster um a lot of the banks have also played their part in that unfortunately and what's what i really like to talk about is like i've worked in the financial sector and a lot of my community has and i wish I wish we didn't have to. Right. But That's where the jobs about, are. Yeah. About 15% of the people in my district right now work for the banks. And that doesn't include all the people who have in the past to pay their bills. Right. And I think about the fact that, like, one of the things that has made me most angry is that um, Trump's tax cuts to the corporations ended up just being bonuses and, and and pay raises and stock buybacks for all the CEOs and senior execs yeah. at these companies. And one would one would hope that some of that trickles down, but I've learned it through doesn't. my studies, no, never. It's yeah. never trickled down and it never will. And that so, was a line of bullshit that was sold to the American people to justify what they were doing. Yeah, she's made more money from uh, her her JP Morgan JP Morgan uh, Chase pack than I have from from working. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, it, it doesn't make any sense. No, and let's, I want to go back actually now you mentioned that and talk about the Amazon deal for a second because I think this exemplifies perfectly the rot in the system. Amazon is a very wealthy company, has massive profits, right? They can easily afford to build their own damn site. Why should the taxpayer allow them to, to be a free rider because that's exactly what they are. Why should this continue where we're going to, we're going to build this facility for you. It's going to cost us a lot of money. And then you're going to come in here having paid nothing for this facility and give us shitty jobs that don't even pay us enough to like pay rent. And then maybe we're going to collect food stamps on top of it because you're not paying us enough for us to be able to to, you know, pay rent and food. So we qualify for food stamps. So now the taxpayer is going to pick up that as well. We're subsidizing not only your facility, but your payroll. Why in the hell do not people not see this for what it is? We should not be saying yes to these deals. They're shit deals for the taxpayer. They're shit deals for the workers. The only people benefiting from this is Jeff Bezos. Well, I would also just say what we should all do as voters is just check someone's donations because a lot of the politicians that stood for Amazon getting tax incentives have accepted Amazon tax money. Of course, yes. It just, ugh. Without fail. <laughs> yes. It's, it's that it implicit quid sense. pro again, right? We're seeing it like in real time. Yeah. I, I just, it needs so to end. I was glad that that, day, that deal got thwarted. It was a shitty deal for, for the citizens of, of your district. And, you know, I think people are rightfully angry. And I, maybe this is 
finally we're going to see a change in what is in is and is not acceptable from these folks but i think that is a prime example um i also want to ask you about a speculation tax is this something you support so this would be a small percentage pennies on uh, high frequency trading so a lot of of the big banks engage in this sort of uh, mathematical quantitative trading where they're they're betting on making a few pennies per trade right so they're not these are not long-term investments they're not investing whatsoever they're they're gambling on on the um on the uh the trades going up and down right so it's something that they do in most of the european markets we don't do it here i think we should do it here it could finance things like um public universities so is that something that you support absolutely and i just see in so many ways that we and working class people are are carrying our society while corporations and billionaires are just benefiting from all of us and taking and 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 i am absolutely for flipping our taxation so that they are carrying us and we can be elevated finally yeah 100 percent. so what other areas of your platform have we not discussed that you think are really important um so i did want to mention about the americans with disabilities act um one of the things i want to do is expand it so that it's not enforced by people having to sue Um, an entity for not being accessible, for example, but it should just be enforced by the federal government. And that's just one of so many other examples of of how we're just placing the burdens of our society on the people that we should be elevating. Right. And I think about the fact that my family has survived off of social security checks. And um, when I look at multiple presidential primary candidates uh, that have called for cuts to social security in the past. And um, I think only one has has called for it to be expanded. I think about the fact that my family would have been personally impacted from any, any cuts to social security and how that's funded is that you're taxed on your income up to $132,900. So the Jeff Bezoses of the world aren't paying anything. Yeah, exactly. It's, out, it's, it's absolutely outrageous. Let me ask you um, something about the ADA. One of the things that's in, the, that's in that that I think has sort of been perverted is this idea that corporations can pay folks with disabilities less than minimum wage. Um, I think the initial idea behind that was that it would make them more employable, but I think it's being abused. What are your thoughts on that? There should be nobody that's paid less than a minimum wage and we are all equals. And it's it's actually horrifying that, of course, companies, corporations, they're going to find every single loophole that they can exploit because that's that's them doing their job. And that's right. the kind of system that we've allowed all of us to exist in. And, and I want my representatives to close all those loopholes, but they just keep failing to do so. Hundred um, percent. Also, before we go, I wanted to ask you about endorsements. Who are some of the folks that have endorsed you? Oh, so I'm really proud to have brand new Congress's endorsement, um, Women for Justice, Young PAC, uh, Forward Thinking Democracy, NIPAN, which is a group of progre- uh, progressive groups throughout my district in New York City, and um, and also other people running for office like Shahid Batar. Michaela Wilkes, and uh, lately Marianne Williamson endorsed me as well, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. Yeah, I actually um, heard Marianne speak for the first time. Like, if if you've never seen one of her full speeches, it's it's kind of a different thing than what the media has been placing out there. The media always talks about her new age sort of religious beliefs or whatever. I actually saw her give this amazing speech about income inequality, what the banks have been doing. It was very informative and actually very knowledgeable, and I wish the media Mm. would show that side of her. But what about AOC? She's your sister there. Has she not come out and endorsed you? Not yet. I would, if she's watching this, I would love your support. <laughs> yes, 100%. She should be getting behind yeah. you because I think Carolyn Maloney, I mean, this is a similar situation to the, the battle that she fought in her area. She's yeah. a, an incumbent. She's not really doing the work of the people at this point. She's taken a lot of corporate PAC money. So I guess we'll see. Um, and on that note, where can people donate to your campaign if they want to? Oh my gosh, this is so helpful because we are grassroots. Our average donation is $14 right now. And we have donors from all 50 states, thanks to me being allowed to be on podcasts like yours. 
Yeah. So um, really every single donation goes a long way, even if it's a dollar. If everybody does it, it's amazing. So go to laurenashcraft.com or also find me at Vote Ashcraft on all of my social medias. And there's a link to donate um, on my website and also in my social medias. Excellent. Do you have any parting words for our audience? I just really want to thank everyone for watching and remaining really in tune with the real issues that we're facing in our society. And this is not a time to stop fighting. This is a time to fight even harder. Um, I know it's scary given the voter suppression and given the direction of the party right now, but that's why we absolutely need to stick together and also support down ballot races of people powered candidates uh, across this country. I 100% agree with you. Now is where we dig in our heels even further and we fight harder because it's only going to keep escalating. These folks are showing you right now who they are in real time. They, they, in, as far as I'm concerned, they would rather see a Trump presidency than to see Bernie Sanders in office. And that, and that should scare the shit out of everyone. It's, it's really scary. It's clear to me that there is a people-powered candidate that's fighting for us. Yeah. And he's he started a movement, and I am part of that. I'm really proud to be part of it. And this this movement is greater than um, than any single person, but it really takes us staying. Yeah. You know, we we can't separate at this time. We have to stay connected to each other and exactly. really dig your, dig our heels in, like you said. Exactly. Well, thanks for talking with us, Lauren, and good luck with you um, in your race. I hope to see you you win that. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you today. 